Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. thankful to Eric for filling in for me uh, the past couple weeks while I was on vacation. It's good to be back. It's good to be back uh, with you all and gathering around God's Word again together. I know you were well fed by Him. I trust we will again be well fed from His Word today. And so if you have your Bibles, I would draw our attention this morning to the Gospel according to John chapter 1. And we will read verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1, verse 35. And would you stand with me out of respect and reverence for God's word as we read this together? Honor God's word. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak, who heard John speak and followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what we have not, give us. What we know not, teach us. And what we are not, make us. We pray this in the name of your Holy Son and our beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you were to look at our culture today and want to know what it is to be a leader, it appears that there is almost an infinite number of resources at your disposal. Everywhere you look, it seems you can find someone's thoughts on 
leadership. Why is it that there is so much emphasis that's put on leadership? Well, oftentimes it's thought that leadership is the path to success. Leadership is the path to influence. Leadership is the path to productivity or to effectiveness. Maybe leadership is the path to make one feel better about himself or herself, or to make something out of yourself, or to leave my mark upon the world, or feed my ego, or maybe even leadership is to make more money. In making books about leadership, there is no end. And even Christian publishers have learned this lucrative lesson. I dare say you will find far fewer books about following. We even have this mindset where we don't want to stay in the category of the following, at least not for very long. We want to move on from following to leading. We want to move on to that place where we are the ones being followed. Our world doesn't even blush at this thought. In fact, the app formerly known as Twitter, now just symbolized by the letter X, will show you how many followers you have. You feel good about that little number. You think it makes you important in the world. You might even ask someone else, how many followers do you have? It strikes at the core of the human heart. If given the choice, we would rather be leaders than followers. We would prefer prominence and prestige and popularity over obscurity, humility, and submission. John, in his gospel, however, does something that is contrary to how we think or to even what we would choose. He turns the propensity of our human hearts upside down and he elevates the role of following. He communicates that one of the best things that you can be is a follower. How does John elevate the role of following? He does it by elevating and magnifying and glorifying the one that we are to follow. It's John's high view of the greatness of Jesus that catapults the role of following from the status that we are looking to get out of and putting it into a category where we are clamoring and long, longing to get into it. How is it that we can go from thinking, how do I get out from this role of following to banging on the door saying, let me in, I want to be a follower. There is nothing else that I would rather be. There's nothing else that I would long for. There is nothing else that I desire. Such a change can only happen because of the one whom we want to follow who transforms us and changes us so that we lose sight of ourselves, we forget about ourselves, and we look at him. And this is precisely what Jesus does. In these verses this morning, we see some of the first followers of Jesus 
and how they came to follow Jesus. We could start by asking ourselves this question, how do I follow Jesus? And that is a very important and very necessary question, but that's not the first question that we should ask. And I believe that asking that question would not even get us very far in our text this morning. Rather, I believe the first question we should ask is, why follow Jesus? And it's these reasons that Christ uses to bring us to a place where we are banging down the door and begging to get in so that we can be called followers of Jesus Christ. So why? Why should we? Why do we follow Jesus? And do we long to follow Jesus? Three truths I want to draw our minds to. Simple, basic, honestly not very clever truths, but important truths nonetheless. Why follow Jesus? Number one this morning, you can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful. Number one, why follow Jesus? Because Jesus provides what we really need. Jesus provides what we really need. We begin with these words, the next day. And I hope as we've been going through the Gospel of John, you've been keeping track with me. But if you haven't, let's just flip back a little bit into the text. If you notice, verse 29 says, the next day as well. It helps us count the days. So this is the second time that John has said the next day. The first day was verses 19 to 28. The second day was verses 29 through 34. And now we've come to the third day in these verses, verses 35 through 42. I hope it's a reminder to keep counting the days. We'll keep counting these days and there is a payoff in the end. So be patient because it's important. But I just draw our, our minds to that right now. This is the, the third day as we're counting these days and the next day. But the scene for this third day is set with John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples. These were men who were following John. They were listening to John the Baptist's teaching. They were familiar with his witness. This day, however, they were to hear the culmination of John's witness, and even more, they were to experience the culmination of John's witness. John the Baptist had been sent by God to bear witness about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And that is what John does before these disciples. He points to one who is greater. His role is is never to accumulate more and more followers, more and more disciples. The progression of these disciples of John is what should happen. The one finally to be followed is Jesus. If our following ever ends with someone else, we will never be fulfilled in our following. John looked at Jesus as he walked by. These are important actions. What John looks at carries greater significance and meaning 
than merely seeing with one's eyes. There was something more that John looked at, something greater that he looked at, something that caught his gaze and is meant to catch our gaze as well. It was something that many did not see merely looking at Jesus. But John the Baptist saw the spiritual reality that was greater than the physical external reality that anyone could see with their eyes. And this spiritual looking at is expressed by what John exclaims. And this is what he exclaims for a second time. John, what are you looking at? John, what are you seeing? He sees the sacrificial Savior who will take away the sin of the world. He sees the final and full sacrifice, the sacrifice that will end all sacrifices. He sees salvation that is provided by God to redeem mankind through the willing sacrifice of the Son of God. While everyone else saw an ordinary man, John the Baptist saw the Lamb of God. And there's some irony here, I think. What's the picture, general big picture, of the Lamb of God? What, you hear those words, what do you think? And I think the big picture is sacrifice, right? Lamb of God, sacrifice. That's what lambs were used for in Israel. What is this lamb doing? Where would you expect a lamb to be? Well, if the picture is sacrifice, you would expect the lamb to be on the altar dying, but this lamb is walking around. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I think it's kind of ironic. The lamb should be dying, but that's not what the lamb is doing. The lamb is walking around, he walks by John and these disciples, and John points out Jesus' glory, and he says, look at the lamb. Here is the lamb of God. Isn't he glorious? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he awesome? At that moment, what happens in the hearts of John's disciples? They begin to see Jesus differently. And they spontaneously attach themselves to Jesus. When this pair heard John exclaim, Behold the Lamb of God, they knew what was expected of them. And they willingly left their old teacher and attached themselves to the Lamb. Jesus provided what they really needed. And Jesus provides for us what we really need. Salvation, atonement, redemption, reconciliation with God. Why follow Jesus, the Lamb of God? Because it is the only way to God. It's the only way to receive the gift of eternal life. It's the only way to glory. And look at verse 37. The two disciples, what? Heard him say this. I think that's significant. That is when these disciples heard the witness of John, 
It was then that they follow Jesus. Do you notice that it wasn't what they saw? When they saw what John said, when they saw Jesus, it's what they heard. When they heard what John had said, that is when they followed. It wasn't that they saw something that was self-evident. Their testimony was not, we saw Jesus, we looked at the Lamb of God, and so we decided to follow him. No. What was their testimony? We heard the words of John. And we heard the words for what they truly were. Not merely the words of John, but the words of Christ himself, and we followed. What does Paul tell us? So faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And so these two disciples heard the word of Christ. They were changed. Something happened in them. They followed Jesus. And something so happened in them that when they heard the words of John, the Lamb of God, there was some kind of understanding the Lamb of God is worthy to be followed. Think about that for the moment. If the Lamb of God is a picture of sacrifice, and this Lamb that I am seeing is not yet dying but walking around, where is He going? What is He walking towards? If He is the Lamb of God, is He not ultimately going to His own death, to His own sacrifice? Is that the reason why anyone would be knocking down the door asking to be a follower of Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus to his death? you got to be crazy. But if you know what his death ultimately accomplishes, for everyone who believes in the Lamb, he gives what we really need, peace with God, then you will bang down that door. When you understand what the glorious Lamb of God does to ransom sinners from their captivity to sin and to bring them to God and to give them them the kingdom of God, then we will sing what's sung in Revelation 5. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It is these who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who see, who know, who believe, who have heard that the Lamb is worthy of our whole lives, and so we are willing to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Are you willing to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Are you willing to say, Jesus, wherever you lead, don't, no qualifications, 
No exemptions, no loopholes. Jesus, wherever you lead, I will follow you. Now, for some of you, that might sound exciting. Jesus, wherever you lead, take me somewhere tropical and warm, Jesus. I will, lead, I, I will follow you there. No problem. Take me someplace exciting and amazing, unpredictable. I love adventure. I will follow the lamb wherever he goes because I don't know where he's going to lead, but it's going to be amazing, great, and an adventure. What if Jesus leads you into the mundane? What if Jesus leads you into the unexciting? What if Jesus leads you into monotony and obscurity? What if Jesus leads you into days and days and days of rain and no sunshine? Will you go there? Will you follow in that way? And here's the kicker. Would you be content? Would you say, I will follow the lamb wherever he goes, <laughs> and I'm content with wherever he goes? I'm content because I know wherever Jesus goes is for my ultimate Jesus provides what we really need, but Jesus also, we follow him because Jesus sees what we really want. Jesus sees what we really want. This is point two on your outline. Here I think there's a little scene change in our verses. Verse 38, now Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Ask them a question. He confronts these two disciples. What is he doing by asking this question? He's forcing these followers to articulate what they really want in life. What is it that you're seeking? What do you want? What are you seeking first? What do you want above everything else? Isn't still that a question? Uh, isn't that still a question that we must? hear and answer today, what do you really want in life? <laughs> and to answer that question, don't say what you, th you think other people want to hear. Don't answer in a way that you think you're supposed to say that. You have to answer this question for yourself. We would like to think that these disciples should just have this amazing answer to this question, right? Like, Faith is fully formed in them. They're learning. They're growing. They don't have all the answers yet. These two disciples, what are you seeking? What do you want? Rabbi, which means teacher, which is used often in the book of John. We'll see that used more, so stick that away for later as well. Where are you staying? Show us, show us your... Your room, your, your house, where, where are you staying? And here's the underlying request, I think, with, with this response. 
Jesus, we might not know exactly what we're seeking, for there is something that we do know, we want to spend more time with you. Where are you staying? And the implication is, so we can stay with you. A conversation on the street with Jesus at this point was not going to satisfy these two followers. And so Jesus gives this invitation. Come and you will see. While here on the face of it, that might seem very ordinary. These words, come and see, become words used to invite these to see and experience more of Jesus, to hear his teaching, to come and know who he truly is. Come and you will see, and you will see more than you could have ever imagined. You think you're just coming to see my quarters where I'm staying? You will see much, much, much more than this. And so they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. Here it again, again appears that there's some eyewitness testimony here for this. For it was about the 10th hour. The 10th hour most likely is about 4 p.m. in the day. They counting, were counting hours from uh, sun up to sundown. That's how they uh, did their timekeeping. But they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And do you notice here this repetition of, of words? Uh, so end of verse 38, where are you staying? And then the middle of verse 39, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. That's an important word, that word stay. It could also be translated remain or dwell or Maybe the one that you're more familiar with, abide. It becomes a, a significant word in the Gospel of John. We see it concentrated in John 15. So if you have your Bible and turn to John 15 for a moment, John 15, verses 4 through 10. Here is the very first word abide, or remain, or dwell, or stay. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. As followers of Jesus, we are to abide, stay, and remain in Christ. And he is to abide, stay, and remain in us. These disciples in John 1 were to come and see where Jesus abides so that then they would begin to abide in him. They would begin to keep his commandments and so abide in him and abide in his love. 
and what flows out of the abiding that was beginning in these disciples and, and that flows out of all who abide in Christ, it's an overflow of joy, a joy that, would not, that they could not keep to themselves, a joy that they, they wanted to share, a joy that was found in Jesus, a full, complete, satisfying joy. Which brings us to our, our final point. Why follow Jesus? Because Jesus sees who we really are. Jesus sees who we really are. Notice that now we're introduced to one of these disciples by name. His name is Andrew. We are only told one of the two disciples' names, so many speculate that the unnamed disciple in this account is the author of the book, John, but no one knows for sure, simply because it doesn't say. But rather than spending time wondering what the text doesn't say, let's see what it does say. And it does tell us about Andrew. And what is the first thing that Andrew does? He goes and he finds his brother. You see what it says here, verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon. Seems like that is what he was bound to do. He had to do it. This thing that has happened to him, this, this joy that had been welling up in him, this excitement that he had known because of Jesus, he had to find his own brother, Simon. And then he exclaimed to Simon, we have found the Messiah. In Jewish lips, we have found the Messiah is the most comprehensive, comprehensive of all Eurekas. It's like the Eureka of Eureka. There was nothing greater to say, nothing greater that one could hear. Andrew believes Jesus to be the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the Messiah par excellence, the anointed prophet, priest, and king, the one they had been waiting for. This is, after all, why the Apostle John is writing this book, so that you may believe that Jesus is what? Is the Christ, is the Messiah, is the anointed one of God. And so that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so what does Andrew do then? Well, he went and found his brother, Simon. He exclaims to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. That's a title. So when we say Jesus Christ, Christ is a title. It's not part of his name, necessarily. Meaning anointed one. He finds his brother, he makes this exclamation, and then look at this simple sentence, verse 42, he brought him to Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? In fact, this is what we see Andrew doing in the Gospel of John. Later on, he will bring the boy with the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. A little later on, in uh, John 12, Philip comes to, Peter, or, or, Philip comes to Andrew, and Andrew, along with Philip, go to Jesus. So it seems like Andrew's taking Philip to Jesus there in chapter 12. Andrew seems to be known as someone who brings people to Jesus. That is a beautiful example for us. Would you be known for that? Like, that's what your name is associated with. Like, this person brings people to Jesus. That's what Andrew was doing. Wouldn't it be a good thing if you were known for that? Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, and then what did Jesus do? Oh, you're good students of the Bible, so you remember what we just talked about. 
Jesus, what? Looked at him. Didn't someone else just do that? Remember? John the Baptist, what did he do? Looked at Jesus. Now Jesus looked at Simon. And what happened when John the Baptist looked at Jesus? He saw a spiritual reality that was greater than any physical reality that we could see. What is Jesus going to look at? He is going to look at a spiritual reality that is greater than any physical reality that any man could see. So it's important. And what does Jesus see? This would be terrifying, wouldn't it? Jesus looked at Simon. And he says, you are Simon, the son of John. And Jesus knew everything about Simon. He knew his heart. He knew his mind. He knew his thoughts. He knew everything. Jesus knew that Simon was a dead-as-a-doornail sinner. Jesus knew Simon was lost. Jesus knew that Simon needed to be saved. What was the perfect, spotless, holy Lamb of God going to see in Simon but an utterly hopeless and desperately dead sinner? But what does Jesus do? Jesus looks beyond that. And speaks to what Simon would become. You are Simon, son of John, but you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You are Simon. You are impulsive. You are volatile. You are unreliable. You will deny me three times, and I will call you the rock man. That's what Peter means the rock. Long before Dwayne Johnson, the rock is Peter. <laughs> Jesus knows people thoroughly. And not only does he see into them, but he so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. Isn't this good news for you and I? Because couldn't the same be said of us and much else? You were volatile. You were unreliable. You were shaky. You were weak. You were helpless. But what does Jesus see? Jesus sees that he will make you into who he's called you to be. Yes, you might be all of those things, but knowing and following Jesus, you will not stay there. If Jesus could look at Simon and say, you are the rock. Then Jesus can look at you and say, you are a child of God. 
What does Jesus do by renaming Simon? A couple other times in the Bible, people have been renamed. Abram, his name is changed to Abraham. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. What happens when you change someone's name? Well, there's a sense of authority, right? That's why Adam uh, names the animals first. He also names Eve. There's a sense of authority that he's given. So Jesus, by changing Simon's name to Cephas or Peter, he's asserting his authority over Peter, and he is saying, Peter, now you belong to me. Peter, now you are Jesus' man. You're mine. I care for you. I love you. But something else happens when God, in particular, changes someone's name. When God does it, it speaks to someone's new character. So not only was Peter now Jesus' man, he was also a new man. Jesus' words point to the ultimate change that would happen in Peter by the power of God. Jesus not only sees who we are, but he also sees who he will make us become. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we are on our way towards being complete. Father, we thank you for this word. It's come from your word. We thank you that Jesus provides what we really need. He knows what we and sees what we really want. And that he also sees who we truly are. Thank you that he is the Lamb of God the one who sacrificed himself for us, who has not only purchased us so that we belong to him, but he's also made us new people, new creations, with new character, new loves, affections, new minds, new hearts. And so, may we walk in the newness of this life. If there's someone here this morning that does not know Jesus, we pray that today they might even see themselves in Simon Peter's shoes. Volatile, shaky, faithless, willing to deny Christ. But that they would say, I know that Jesus sees everything. I know that he sees my sin. That they would repent and turn from their sin, cast off their sin and say, I'm no longer going to live for myself or for my sin. I'm going to now live and follow Jesus. Because only he can provide what I really need. Salvation and peace with God. Thank you for the peace we have with you in Christ. Let us never take that for granted. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.